Welcome to the Double Shot with your favourite cousins, James and Alex Fitzgerald. Good to have the mic first up. I beat you to the punch there, cuz. Welcome. How are you on this fine morning? Enchanté. Enchanté. Very good. You're going good. Okay. Well, hey, uh, I I thought I'd uh, ask you the question to start today. And the question I got for you is if you get home from, let's say, let's go back, way back, and, I, and it came up because I got home from work the other day and I just was, I was going for a snack and I thought, there's just not good enough snacks in this in this cupboard, not like what <laughs> mum used to stock the cupboard with coming home from school. And the question is, what was your go-to after school snack? Oh, well, it actually wasn't, it wasn't in the cupboard. That's for sure. Definitely oh. not. It was all health in the cupboard. We weren't even allowed roll-ups, which is actually a very, it's a very touchy point. For my childhood, not not being allowed roll ups and bit of, bit of, not the bit other of, kids. Bit of trauma yeah. still there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I still see kids now eating roll ups, and I I just want to eat them because I wasn't allowed to. Did you? Were you allowed to eat roll ups? Uh yes. Until I think I got my tenth filling, and then then they they went. Explain. I'm up to seventeen fillings. So oh, no way. Are you really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they keep coming oh, out. Oh my god. Jesus. I've got more filling than teeth in these bad boys. Your, your teeth aren't yours. They're just filling. <laughs> You've got a bit of teeth with your filling. Yeah, I had a bit of a sugar issue a while back. <laughs> yeah, you guys had lolly nuts. Anyway, what, what was it? What were, if, you did, if you weren't allowed roll-ups, what so, were you allowed? Mum would take my brother and I came to Quan's, Quan's Corner Store, and uh, Quan uh, yeah. was this absolute legendary Korean guy who his kids went to the school down the road as well, so we'd, we'd all be there at the same time. And more often than not, I was allowed only one thing and I would alternate between either a crunchy bar and yep. a packet of salt and vinegar chips. Ooh, and SMBs. let me tell you, yep. sweet versus savoury was sometimes really, I often wanted both but my mum wouldn't let me. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know why after I wasn't allowed any roll-ups, I wasn't allowed both a crunchy and a packet of salt and vinegars. Um, but, uh, but what was yours? If not in the cupboard that your mum stocked, was it at the corner store? Well, twice a week we'd go to Woolworths after school and mum would get the groceries for, for dinner and um, a go-to <laughs> and, in fact, the, the place where I'm not going to say it's where I met my my, my future wife but, but oh. um, I guess it's uh, it's the first time she met my family at least. Um, she, Han used to work at the Baker's Delight and a go-to <laughs> was a finger bun. I used yes. to love a finger bun with yeah. uh, like the, the yes. pink icing on, on top. Yes, classics. Um, yeah, yeah, that classics. was that was a bit of a go-to. Not not an everyday thing, but, yeah, a couple of times a week. Oh, yeah. So the Woolies run not so bad for the kids, you know. It's oh. usually pretty crap, but you got to, got to get into the buns. <laughs> it was a silver lining. What about, what about you, producer JB? Yeah, JB, what was oh. your Avo snack, hey? I, I had a couple, so I, I, I definitely am a, a big snacker. Let's 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 start it there. Yeah. Uh, in my early years, I definitely was a fan of the roll-ups, but even cereal, like cereal, afternoon cereal, was like a big oh, one for me. True, um, such a boy thing that. Yeah, yeah, like Crunchy Nut. That was my that was a definite go-to in my childhood. But mm-hmm. in the like teen years, uh, one of my good friends, he's his parents owned a bakery, so that was like a regular stop after Love school. It. We could yeah get. All the leftover pies and like the. Oh. Have you ever had a long john? No, I thought long johns were like. Yeah, like they're they're like thermos. the the long like 
almost like a fin- finger bun, but it's like filled with like jam and cream, and then sometimes Ooh. has like chocolate drizzled over the top. Oh, oh my. I definitely, love definitely demolished a few of those. Oh, so good. But definitely need context when you're talking about those, for sure. <laughs> hey, um, we, we have got a fair bit to cover today, but but before we do, uh, um, I forgot to ask you last week, Alex, what your thoughts oh. were Mark McGowan uh, resigning. I know it's, it's old news now, but uh, the WA Premier literally elected two years ago with a 92% majority, the highest majority ever for an elected official in Australia, and he resigns, puts the uh, throws crazy. the mic down two years in. Isn't that crazy? I I actually don't know a lot about it. Um, Dean, the husband, came home and he's, oh, my God, Mark me and blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I just, I feel like, and I think we're going to unpack this today a bit though, like I'm overridden with politics chat at the moment because of what Dan Andrews, our premier down here in Victoria, is doing, and I can't get out of it. So when McGowan resigned, I was like, yeah, yeah. "All right, we're down, we're down one more politician." <laughs> he he is. Um, if you ever go to Perth, he is so so well liked. Like yeah. uh, I had the good fortune of going to Perth last year, met a lot of people, and he's just he's a hero over there. Um, because you know, and then fair enough, he jealous. Uh, sorry, he sorry. Um, uh, vigorously sort of fought for them not to be in lockdown because they had no COVID. Anyway, he became mm. a bit of a hero. But uh, I, I love the yeah. idea of a, a premier going out on top rather than uh, than sort of going to an election and, and losing. Why, Should happen more often. He, just sorry for 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 me and the rest who don't know why he stood down. Why did he stand down? Uh, he said that um, you know in his job he he has to have a lot of conflict every single day. Um, mm. Because they're talking about big decisions and um, mm. you know throwing around ideas and having arguments for the sake of you know uh, you know making sure they're making the right decision, he said he just didn't have the stomach for it anymore. He mm. and and literally like at the top of his game, only five years into his premiership, um, could have kept going. I think mean, Chairman Dan's into year ten or eleven now. Oh um, my days! So 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 you know by. By those standards, a fairly, yeah. you know, short stint. Um, and he just said, I don't have the stomach for it anymore. And if you don't have the stomach for it, then you just shouldn't be doing the job. It's too big a job yeah. for someone to be doing uh, without 100%. So, yeah, Amen kudos to, to him. Good on him. Amen to that. And I guess you, you're coming off the, the the peak of conflicts through COVID and, like, that's got to wear a person down, you know, and then it just is, it continues thereafter. And I guess that's the nature of the beast in politics, right? But yeah. fair, fair crack. Wonder what he's on to next. Wonder what he's on to next. Well, he's a lawyer. So that was, his life was a lawyer before that. Maybe he goes <laughs> Maybe back in the He signed law. up to conflict. What's he talking yeah, about? I know. <laughs> At least that might be a bit more within his control. Hey, guys. Um, Little one to get get us started. Why uh, into the the meat and bones of this podcast? Why do we experience housing booms? Oh, James, I thought you would never ask. Such a good topic, actually. It's interesting now because everyone always says, "Now, nah, there's no way property can go up further. It's gone up, you know, fifteen to twenty percent, depending on where you are in the last couple of years. Um, there's just no chance." There's no chance we've hit the ceiling, but it's all down to, just like everything, supply and demand, isn't it? Uh, That it is. What do do I always liken it to? A pair of the rarest Nikes that they've only made 10 of, you know, 7 billion people in this world, maybe we're at 7.5 billion, and there's only five pairs. 
Well, I think I think the most important thing for people to rack their or wrap their head around mm-hmm. when it comes to property investing is you don't see a linear uh, growth trajectory. So it's not like you know, no. say, say say the median house price doubles roughly every ten years. It doesn't just happen ten percent a year. What happens is you get six, seven years where you've got maybe one or two, you know, somewhere zero to five percent growth. And then for three years or four years, if you're lucky out of 10, you just see massive growth, like more than 10% for three or four years in a row. And so mm. what you end up seeing is 60 to 80% of the doubling actually happens in a two to four year window. Now, you know, you, you, you ultimately, you know, you try and pick the right time in the window, but you never really know. Uh, it, it often does transpire where you've got more demand than you have supply. Um, and, and there's a few factors that that typically go, uh, you know, are in play there. But more or less, you know, I think, you know, at the risk of slightly oversimplifying it, since 1970, the markets have had fairly predictable cycles led by Sydney, haven't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, pr- predictable in the sense that once Sydney sort of starts to pop off um, and reach its sort of 20, 30 percent growth over a couple of years. We see the the trickle into your Melbourne and then your Brisbane and then maybe Adelaide and then a couple of years later on pr- pretty much on the opposite side of the property clock, uh, WA. But in- interestingly, um, what we're seeing now is a lot of pressure on demand, aren't we, and, and just not enough supply coming on. Um, so when we're talking about supply and demand, there's a few things that that put pressure on those, um, and you know Sydney's a great example. I think you sent me an article a couple of days ago of the the undersupply um, of property in in Sydney. Uh, it's still significantly undersupplied. What was it by fifteen to twenty percent? Yeah, well, the the premise of the article was that we're undersupplied in the areas that want it. So so That's yes, right. you know, there's. There's how many um, houses get built in all of mm. Sydney and how many people move to Sydney. But then within yeah. Sydney, there's so many different suburbs and, and w- what is actually happening is we're not building the housing in the areas that, that crave it. Uh, and an example would be, you know, it came up in the context of built to rent where a lot mm. of these built to rent projects are actually quite expensive and, and, and you've sort of oh. mentioned that um, through the projects that you've toured. So the point is that, you know, what we actually need today is affordable housing in the suburbs because that's where people want to live, but we're providing it in 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 areas that aren't the affordable areas in the suburbs, and so the supply shortfall is actually even bigger than that. And and it's been a trend in Australia for for a long time where we've had this demand. We've always had a lot of demand for housing since about the mid two thousands when the Australian government realised that we had an ageing workforce, so mm. we were going to have less and less taxpayers for each um, retiree, um, elderly Australian that relies on our healthcare, you know, all the people that need the services the government provide, which are expensive, you need taxpayers to to pay for it. So as you've got more and more people growing older and and living longer and retiring in Australia and less taxpayers to fund it, you've got to do something about it. So our way of doing it was we we accelerated overseas migration and, and what it meant is that the Australian population went from growing by roughly a million people per five years to two million people 
per five years. So the pressure's always been there in that we've got to basically house an extra 2 million people every five years. But going back to your point, what we haven't seen is such low supply. Like we've got a vacancy rate in Australia, uh, 1.2%, I think, today, which you know, that, that is as low as it's been for, for more than 20 years. So for the first time since we started having this accelerated migration. Crazy low, crazy low. So I guess uh, to, to mention, as we sort of already have, but in a bit more of a dot point form, the, the pressure on demand. Um, so the demand, where does it come from? It comes from population growth. So either to that area, um, from other places, uh, around, you know, maybe net interstate migration or international migration taps as they're turned, uh, up and down, I suppose, um, to either bring in skills or maybe even students. Uh, and then you've got major new employment precincts. Uh, there's a couple that I know of in, in Victoria, uh, down in the, the southwest corridor, major Werribee East employment precinct, 65,000 people in like, I want to say like 20 um, square kilometres, like a very yeah. small space. Um, so, of course, all of the housing is going out there as well and it's affordable. So all of these things plus new schools that go into an area, then people want to live around the schools. Yep, I want my kids to go in a new school. The demand comes from all of those things. And then on the other side, you need to have the supply. Um, so not only just bringing on houses, but supply can be easily restrained by so many other factors, can't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, interest rates is one that's front and centre at the moment is people, right. people will build new housing if they can afford to and if the bank exactly. will lend them money, you know, no, exactly. mo- most people don't have cash. Um, yeah. Construction, another one that's probably been been ongoing for, for two years, but we're seeing mm. that pressure now where we're building, I think, you know, 130,000 homes a year, whereas we need to be building... 2000. Um, so there's the capacity of the builders to, to build it. That's and, right. They've um, got to have the capacity. And then, mm. uh, kind of looping back to your, your earlier point, there's the councils then being able to provide the zoning and, and all that sort that's of thing right. and the infrastructure. Um, and they need the staff as well. <laughs> like that's, that's the full circle is, you know, when, when we need more supply to come on quickly, councils sometimes struggle to actually scale up. Um, mm. with the skilled people that we need and, and hence why we're bringing into into Australia. And just on that uh, on that point, I know that there's a few listeners out there who are podcast, uh, serial podcasters. Michael, I'm thinking of you, my friend. Um, there was a great uh, podcast that I listened to by Ken Henry uh, and he, he was a guest on a podcast called The Jolly Swagman. Um, and and, and um, Ken Henry was the treasurer, um, head of treasury in Australia, mm. so basically the head economist of, of Australia um, for about 15 years. And oh, um, wow. Kevin Rudd was the prime minister at the time when Australia decided that they needed 2 million people every five years instead of one. And Kevin, he talks about how Kevin Rudd came to him as the basically the, the top economist in Australia. And he said, um, Ken, how many people can Australia take? He said, oh, about 15 million. He said, 15 million? We're at 20 now. He said, yeah, we just don't build, me- we don't build <laughs> medium density. So um, I guess we could probably get to 50 million if you found a way for Australia to build medium density. And he said, and it's still still the case today. He said the reality is that um, you know you either live on a, on a block of land and a house in Australia, or you live yeah. in a high rise. We don't have 
medium density. And he said that mm. the reason for that, in his view, is that um, the councils are charged with providing and, and making medium density possible, but mm. the councillors only get elected on the basis that they stop further development in their council. So he said it's just, yeah. you know, with 500 and something mm. councils around Australia, it's really, mm. really hard to, to actually do where, you know, he gave some some comparisons of European cities that have just got a lot of three and four storey um you know, medium density, which just doesn't yeah. exist in Australia. I think it's only a matter of time before that is provided though, but it's a massive bottleneck on supply today. Big time, big time. And look, I mean, the the supply, the, the construction feeding into it, as you just mentioned, you know, that's got to change a little bit, you know, a bit of more certainty in the construction industry. And I guess for those rates to maybe cool off a little bit or us to sort of find a, a happy medium where we sort of know what the future holds but look, I mean, the point we want to make here is that um, housing booms happen when there is a shortfall of supply um, and we've got a massive migration tap turned on of people coming in. Uh, we're having, you said, record births the other day as well. Um, so we've got all of these people that we need to house and we just don't have enough housing supply coming online to do it. So um, there are certain areas, certain cities that you will still see growth over the next 12 months, maybe even 24 months. Um, because that's that's how you get growth. So it's not a matter of we've hit a threshold, it can't go up any higher. It's a matter of us bringing on the supply and then we'll see it sort of, you know, plateau for a few more years. Well, and as a property investor, you've got to do the research on all this stuff, you know, buy in yeah. an area where the population is growing, where there are jobs being created, where there is infrastructure both existing and, and future, um, you know, coming and then, and then you've got to look at the supply. Is it, is it undersupplied on the basis of, you know, kind of the population growth that that area is going to see? Because ultimately that's where you're going to see your rents go up and the value of your land and, and property go up. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk Victoria. They have increased the land tax. For a bit of background, for those who might have missed it in the last couple of weeks in the news, the Victorian government is our most indebted state government in Australia, a mm. debt of $165 billion, which has grown, for a bit of context, by nearly 200% since uh, 2015. So they've got a bit of a problem with all this debt. Uh, it's been blamed on COVID and, and perhaps rightly so. What they've done, though, is to try and recoup and repay that debt, mm. they have imposed some additional land tax on property owners. So from the 1st of January 2024, for 10 years, there is going to be an additional what they call COVID debt levy, which is going to be charged mm. to owners of land in Victoria. Uh, what it means is they've dropped the minimum threshold. So you used to only pay land tax if you owned more than $300,000 worth of land. Mm -hmm. They've brought that down to $50,000. So pretty much anyone who owns land in right. Victoria, uh, that means that uh, an extra 500,000 people are going to be paying land tax than, than uh, were before the changes. And uh, basically that they've issued an additional land tax, which is more or less double what the land tax um, would have been, dep depending on how much land you owned. Uh, they have imposed quite an additional sum, haven't they? What's the uh, what's the kind of feedback on the ground in Melbourne there, Alex? And then, uh, likewise, what does it what does it mean? What does it mean for investors around Jeez. town? Geez, cuz that was a long intro. You you basically did the whole segment. <laughs> 
Well, no, I thought I'd set it up and get your your <laughs> local views on. Ah, I'd imagine well, people aren't overly happy about it. Oh, the the word of the week is outrage. I would probably say not week. The last four weeks, In, like just it's it's. I guess it's mind blowing stuff. The fallacy is that. The Andrews government say, well, if you're rich enough to own an investment property, you're rich enough to pay more land tax, which is a fallacy because just because you own investment property, um, hold stance a, a block of dirt that's worth over $50,000, which is every single piece of land in Victoria, I would say, unless, of course, you own a very small portion, um, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily rich or wealthy. Um, so this now pretty much includes av- absolutely every single uh, non-owner-occupier home in Victoria. Um, mm. And I can see it's a, it's an easy get for them, an easy grab. Look, I, it's going to fully disincentivize people to invest in Victoria, which we're not going to see now for a couple more years, the actual damage of that. Because mm. whilst we're trying to rebuild from COVID, um, bringing jobs in and, and obviously encouraging our biggest uh, industries, which is construction. Hello, no one's going to invest here. Where are we going to, how are we going to deliver the homes or, or you know, mm. even for um, not even private mum and dad investors, but um, institutional money. They're going to have to pay way more land tax. Um, you've got large land holdings of, of developers as well who mostly occupy um, their business in Victoria, and, and they're absolutely screaming about it. Um, so what this will ultimately do, it feeds into the discussion we just had before, is it's going to hurt supply. It's going to hurt supply a lot. And interestingly, this also plays into um, some other sort of tax grabs that Victorian uh, Andrews government have done in the last couple of years where they also introduced a windfall tax. So um, developers or, or anyone who owns land and rezones it from rural to residential, they pay a 50% capital gains tax. But obviously for us to bring on more supply, we do need to rezone to residential to be able to build more housing. So it's going to hurt supply. That's that's exactly mm. what it's going to do. And it's not only going to do that, it's going to hurt renters uh, as well because uh, yeah. when there's not enough supply coming on, there's mm. not more rental properties coming on, and, of course, rents go up, which is what we're seeing in um, mm. all the all the other East Coast cities and, and Adelaide. I mean, no supply, rents go up. Yeah, I mean, I'm in two minds about it. I mean, on the one hand, I, I appreciate that Melbourne is the fastest-growing city in Australia over the next 10 we, years. We are. We're going to um, overtake Sydney in the next five, six years. Yeah. Uh, I, I ran the numbers personally. So I've got two properties in Melbourne, as you know, um, as do you. So probably similar numbers for, for you. Um, the person, For me personally, my land tax mm. has gone from I paid $775 last year. That's going up to 1950 So it's, it's um, what's that, about a, a 150% increase. Well, um, come on. Wow, wow. I mean, having said that, though, I do sort of self, somewhat selfishly look at it and say, well, it means there's going to be less supply, kind of mm. good in, you know, you, mm. you've got the fast-growing capital city in Australia. That's right. And I've got two houses there. They're already built. They're rented. Um, yep. And, and it probably means the value of my properties and the rents are going to go up um, because mm. there's less supply. So I'm somewhat in two minds about it. I mean, it's it's 23 bucks a week. I've already flagged to my uh, per property. I've already flagged to my um, property manager that uh, I'm going to get. Oh, I'm going to. 
pass that on. Oh. So, so it is somewhat unfortunate for tenants because I'm probably not the only landlord who's who's worked out those numbers and figured out yep. what they've got to recoup in in mm. additional rent. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be selling my house though if I if I had one in Melbourne. No, I wouldn't be no. selling today, even even no. with the additional land tax. I think um, it's not huge money in the grand scheme of things, but I I, th- I think it it might mean that your values and your rents uh, go up significantly more than they would have if the government hadn't charged the the land mm. tax. So it's a bit of a double edged sword, isn't it? It will, and I, I get my knickers in a twist because. Landlords cop all of the flack. They cop twist. all of the flack. Oh, making rich landlords putting out the no. <laughs> like we're just passing on costs. I used to have this developer in, in Adelaide that I dealt with, and he would always say, "End user pays." It would drive me nuts, and mm. I'd be like, "Well, how are you going? Why are you going to put this in the development? You know, it's Bob." And he go, "Alex, end user pays." <laughs> And obviously I'm trying to negotiate on behalf of my clients, so I'm not happy with that, but that is evidently what happens. So I do, I get my knickers in a, in a bit of a twist. You're mm. wondering why prices are going up. You're wondering why rents are going up. It's just supply, and supply can be affected on so many levels, and this is one of them. But it's an interesting move given we do have a COVID debt. We do have to get out of it. Um, we are the most locked down city in the world, so I guess there's – there's a few ways out. Property is always the first thing they look towards in in my view. Uh, it always seems to be the first to, to get um, an increase on on tax of some description. But interesting because, you know, you, you look over at New South Wales and not in as much debt as us. They're still in a bit of debt, but they're not in as much. But they're actually increasing their land tax threshold uh, because their rents, uh, sorry, their their land values have gone up so much. Well, they, they, so give, um, they give first home buyers now the opportunity to pay an annual land tax uh, as well. So apparently mm. they've squashed that. Oh. I've heard recently they've squashed it. So they'll grandfather anyone who did opt to do that and did actually make the purchase. Mm. I haven't looked up the dates, but I was talking to uh, Matt in your office about it last week. Right. They've now squashed it. So they're well, getting the money Well, there was a change of front. government. There was a change yep. of government, so may- that's maybe right. that's why. It, it um, makes sense because then they get the money up front, they get the sugar hit up front, and obviously, you know, that can go towards whatever they're spending it on as a state tax. Did have did have some questions coming in from uh, some listeners. When we did the budget update, we mentioned the fact that the help to buy um, didn't get off the ground in the end, so the, the, the federal government as yet have not pressed the go button on um, putting in 40% of people's mm. deposit uh, and partnering with them. So the shared equity scheme that the Labor government sort of went to the election with, it hasn't been shelved, but it hasn't, they haven't yet pressed play. Um, so it's not available to first-home buyers, unfortunately, uh, at this stage. What, though, are the kind of deals that are floating around for first-home buyers today? Yeah, there's still state incentives. So I was, I'm, I'm pretty across Queensland and in Victoria at the moment because mm. they're the two states I play in today. Not mm-hmm. so much uh, Adelaide anymore, but mm-hmm. the going grant seems to be ten thousand dollars. Has to be on a new build, and each state has their own threshold. Um, in Victoria and Queensland, the threshold is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, brand new build. That is house and land. By the way, gotcha. um, if it is brand new, you are eligible. It ticks all the boxes. You can also uh, get a free, aka zero, stamp duty rate. Um, so you you might save God up to like maybe fifteen to twenty thousand dollars 
uh, on your block of dirt that you would pay in stamp duty and then you get a $10,000 grant, uh, which is typically given to you once the building is finished. So, you know, you've delivered a brand new house, you've brought on some supply to the market. Thank you very much, um, Mr. and Mrs. Here's $10,000. Do with it as you will. Uh, so yeah, up to up to yeah, ten to ten to fifteen. There is still um, the state governments. I know New South Wales, South mm. Australia, and and maybe even Western Australia have uh, do have their own shared equity um, scheme. It's it's quite narrow. You've got to. Um, I think in New South Wales, you might have to be a single parent or a yes. um, emergency services worker. Mm. Um, in South Australia, it's it's um, slightly different, but but similarly, you've got to. Be a you know a low lower income earner, but but the government yep. the state government will actually put in thirty to forty percent of the property value, and then you you pay them back later. So there are there are still some great incentives, and um and and the one thing I would say just just on this, a friend of mine bought a bought their first home in Queensland um a year ago, mm-hmm. and they've just uh, rented out some of the rooms on Facebook Marketplace. Ooh. Facebook Marketplace is a game changer <laughs> for first-home buyers because you can profile the the people that you'll get. Like you can learn a lot about someone off their Facebook, right? Like when back in the day when I when I bought my my first home, I had to use Gumtree, and Ugh. Gumtree it was a lottery. Like you you met people out there and you don't really know much about them <laughs> with with, with an hour chocolate wheel. Within an hour of meeting them on mm. Facebook Marketplace, you can see a lot about someone on their Facebook. You can see mutual friends. Mm. Um, from from what I'm hearing, you know, like like there's a lot of comfort in terms of the people that you bring in, and and renting out a room is absolutely a great way for you to either minimise your repayments as a first home buyer, mm. and or uh, pay down your home loan quicker. Absolutely, which which you should be doing if you're renting out your rooms. Pay down your home loan, like absolutely. Free kick, as you always like to say. And I, I do want to, before we end this segment, I want to mention that there are still some builders that will chip in towards your your property or they'll actually lend you, you know, they do like a 5 to 10% lending scheme. Um, I, I don't have that list in front of me right now, but there was a couple in South Australia that were still actually lending you up to 5%. So you put in uh, 5 to 10%, they'll put in 5% and the rest you borrow from the bank. There are still some banks that will lend up to 90% on first home buyers as well. Um, so there's there's still like a fair bit of incentive for first home buyers. Seems banks, builders, um, and even the state government still want to know you. They still want to know you. i got to go. We'll wrap it up. Um, Where are you going? I've got places to be. Hey, <laughs> uh, have a great weekend, Cuz, and uh, I'll see you next week. Listeners, keep an eye out for the quick shots. We love getting your questions. That'll be coming in a day or so's time. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Double Shot with your favourite cousins, Alex and James Fitzgerald. If you've got a burning question or something we absolutely need to talk about on the pod, please write to us. Both of our emails are in the show notes. For little real estate tidbits and a little bit of banter, okay, a lot of banter, you can follow us on the gram. Our handle is the doubleshot.podcast. That, my friends, is the doubleshot.podcast. Until next time, think of us when you sit back and sip your next double shot.